Let's give Claire a warm welcome. Claire, what grade are you in? Right now I'm in fourth, but I'm soon going to be in fifth. Glad you know the future, that's perfect. Now, why are you excited to be here tonight? Because I'm just excited. Yeah. No other explanation. Now I do believe, tell me the truth. Is it uh, true that your dad has a ringside seat but didn't get you guys ringside seats? That is true, but it's because of his YouTube channel, okay? It's his YouTube, okay? Her dad's an influencer, let him go guys. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What we've got here is failure to communicate. I'm building an alliance. God bless the internet. Okay, let's party. It's showtime. It's time for the Alliance Guys podcast with your hosts Kevin Frazier, Jaden, DKM, and J. Cal. What is up, everybody? This is the Alliance Guys podcast, a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com, your number one source for news and information for the National Wrestling Alliance. My name is J. Cal, and of course with me right below is Jaden, and to my, uh, I guess that's my right, is DKM. But most importantly is this guy right here, Mims. Mims, what's going on, brother? How are you doing? Oh, this. Hey, how you doing, man? Uh, just Good. chilling out here in the cold of this uh, terrible Tennessee weather. Yeah. So that so you hang your hat in Tennessee? Is it? Uh, it it's it's. Uh, yes, it is. It's pretty chilly out there, then, huh? Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm definitely feeling it right now. This wind chill is uh, nothing nice. Uh, this this is hard wire chops right now. How it's coming across my chest? That's brutal. Whew. So uh, we do this each and every week where we uh, we actually normally will talk about power, talk about the news and information for the National Wrestling Alliance. But in the olden days, we used to actually yeah. talk to the talent that was a part of the NWA, guys like, uh, well, back in the day, Jax Dane and guys like, uh, oh gosh, who else did we talk to? Help me out, DK. Who are some of our past guests? Scrap by Adam Pierce. There you go. Adam Pierce. Uh, uh, you can not all at once. Okay, DK. <laughs> Damian Lang, Houston Carson. Uh, who's Tasha the North American Simone. champion out of Georgia? Tasha Simone. Uh, Tasha Simone. I just I'm trying to think of some of the the Chase Owens, uh, Tony the Gibbons, bir- the Birthday oh. Boys, Stro, the Mike Stro of professional wrestling. 
So this is uh, the first time in a while where we've actually had uh, a talent on to talk with us uh, in this group environment. So welcome to the show. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we get started too much into what you're doing these days, let's talk about what got you into professional wrestling. What was that moment that inspired you to become a professional wrestler? Was there, did you grow up watching pro wrestling or how did this come to fruition? Oh yeah. And I, I get this question a lot and I love answering this question. It's one of my favorite ones that I get. Uh, so when I was growing up, I actually got introduced to wrestling pretty early on in the nineties, uh, just flipping channels, kind of like some people do whenever they get into wrestling, even to this day, people are just flipping channels and Oh, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's this kind of struggle that they got going on? Um, I didn't start watching consistently until I had that moment that told me, you know what, I need to do this. I need to be this guy. I need to be able to give these people this kind of reaction. And it was actually because um, it was very sporadic before. My mom was not a big fan of wrestling. Uh, she definitely took every chance she possibly could if she caught me watching wrestling to uh, <laughs> pop me one and make for sure I wasn't watching this, uh, this, this, this garbage on TV. <laughs> uh, but the first moment that stuck with me, my oldest wrestling memory is actually seeing Triple H come back from the quad tear. So okay. that's what made me decide, you know what, I want to do this for a living. Obviously, at that point, I'm not exactly going to know how to do that. You know, I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm like, uh, I think this was, uh, I was probably maybe like eight years old, eight, nine years old whenever this happened. So it was going to be, it was going to be the reason I decided to get up. And go for pro wrestling was literally just seeing that reaction there, seeing those people that were on their feet crying, screaming as loud as they could to see this guy who I had no idea who he was. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what I was really watching. Uh, but that moment, that moment was undeniable. You you can't stay away from that. In the Creed, in the Creed song playing in the background, right? Oh, yeah. I think that was on like the uh, then they have it like on a video package of the Creed for sure. song. For sure. Yeah. Which I love those. I love those packages back in the day. Seeing those great packages that get you hyped for a rivalry, and it was always wrapped up in a nice little bow. Like if you didn't know what was happening between guy A and guy B, had this one little package that has like this banging soundtrack to it, and then you get to get caught up, and now you're hyped up for this match. Now you want to pay money to go see this match, you no matter like where it was at on the card. You feel like wrestling is missing that these days, like those those vignettes. Because I mean, I grew up in the days a little bit earlier than you were. Like mm. I remember watching, uh, you know, Razor Ramon coming to the WWE, and they would do the vignettes with him in in you know in Miami and tossing his toothpick at somebody. Something happened mm. to their gold. Something gonna happen to you. Do you, yeah. you miss those vignette days? Do you wish they'd come back? Yeah, I do. I mean, I remember the vignettes of uh, Carlito, Caribbean Cool, and I think they even had like the, it was probably like the same video, I think, of like Chris Masters before he ended up showing up saying, hey, the masterpiece is going to be here in two weeks, right. or he's going to be here in one week. He's going to be on this episode of Raw. So it always got me hyped for a new talent that was coming out. Instead of it, you know, uh, being a little bit different now, I guess now everybody's, well, most people are going to know who you are. Cause you're coming out of NXT. So then like, you know, it's a, it's probably like a quicker burn than it was before where it'd be four or five weeks out. You get some vignettes. I think the last guy they had uh last guy or girl doing that, if I can remember correctly was uh Veer Mahan. Right. Oh, I think yeah. his was like, Oh, coming. he's coming. And I, and I was hyped for it. I was very hyped for it. It made me feel like a kid again, being able to watch those and saying, Oh yeah, I can't wait to see this guy and what he's got. I think he was coming for like three months. Oh yeah, I think he came like uh for three, six, nine months. He came for a lot of months. That guy just kept on coming. <laughs> the, longest, 
But, you know, it, I appreciate that because typically what it was was back in the day, you didn't have an NXT, so you only had the vignettes to work off of. And with this guy, as far as I knew, we didn't see him on NXT all the time to where we were kind of familiar with him before he ends up showing up on the main roster. So I think I appreciated that a lot more to kind of keep that as like a, a secret, I guess. Yeah. So you said that uh, Triple H – like Triple H coming back and the and the camaraderie that the fans celebrated him when he came back and that moment mm. is kind of what drove you to say, hey, you know what, I think I want to do this. But was there a wrestler that you saw when you were again trying to get in that you, you wanted to emulate or want to be like? Yeah, there was actually a lot of wrestlers that wanted to be like or emulate. I mean, if anything, uh this is gonna sound a little bit corny. The reason I even have the dreads right now is because Booker T and I love actually paid um dreads weren't always the most thing um you know i saw see with the you kind of losing your brother i gotta be like this guy emulate him in some sort of way but i try to emulate this is going to sound a little bit weird because the guy is still pretty young in his career, even though he's been doing this for a while. I like to emulate Big E. That's one of the comparisons I love hearing the most. I get the comparisons to him or Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, even at one point, somebody kept uh, saying that it looked like just buff Kofi, like Kofi, like Kofi <laughs> ate Kofi, or I'm Aww. what Kofi Kingston digivolves into. And <laughs> I've always really appreciated those comparisons. I mean, even um, I think, some of the biggest influences, like even on my moveset and how I looked, I took a little bit of an in, uh, uh, influence from Ahmed Johnson when it came to my first set of gear. And then I tried to take a bit more of an influence of my moveset from the APA. So I wanted at first to have like a clothesline from hell. That'd be my setup for my finish and do some more stuff just like Ron. And I ended up kind of like scrapping that and just going for the Ron Simmons old school, like jumping clothesline. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of brought that into my moveset. And so I just kind of wanted to emulate those guys and show them that respect that uh, they had made such a positive impact on my career. So why not give them a little bit of, you know, imitation that's meant as flattery and use those inspirations there for either how I look or what I do in the ring, you know. Have you had an opportunity to meet any of those gentlemen since becoming uh, a pro wrestler? Since actually yes. doing doing the job that they that they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have, and that's one of like for me is somebody that okay. Let me give a little bit of background. So far in the wrestling business, never really had a point where uh, somebody's made me nervous or like I didn't talk to somebody or I felt like, well, oh, this is this guy. You can't just come up and talk to this guy. Right. The only person Uh-oh. able. Talk to was Ron Simmons. Finally got to meet Ron Simmons at Starcast in Nashville. And uh, the owner of Glow Wrestleware. So uh, G Wrestleware is is his. Hey Mims, we're we're losing you, buddy. I don't know. Um, see NWA and W and AW. Push any big come. Mims, we're kind of losing you, my friend. I'm sorry about that. We we we're, we're losing you. Whatever you just said, we didn't really hear much of it. Uh oh. We might have lost him completely. Oh, there you are. 
Oh, we, I hope not. I hope we, not. we lost you there for a minute. Uh, it kind of froze and, and was robot talk. Um, I know it's really Uh-oh, cold out that's there. Like, yeah, you're right. I guess it's too cold for a good Wi-Fi signal over here in this restaurant. Um, but yeah, uh, like I was saying, I had a conversation, a quick conversation at StarCast uh, because I was so nervous to go talk to Ron Simmons. It's Ron Simmons. It's Farouk. Is the man. This is the, this is the first recognized uh, black world champion ever. So this is like a big deal for me. And this is somebody who, you know, if I'm going to go for anybody's approval in pro wrestling besides my own, I'm going for Ron Simmons' approval. Yeah. You know, so I had to have a conversation with Rick Michaels, the guy who makes some of the best gear in the business. He makes all of my gear. He's made a lot of the gear for the people in the NWA, uh, AEW, WWE, any company you can kind of think of. Rick Michaels has probably made some of the best gear you've seen on those shows. Guaranteed. So he had a conversation with me about respect and about making for sure that everybody knows how much you respect them, how much you admire them. And you tell people as soon as you possibly can. You know, don't be afraid to ever heap praise on somebody. And that was kind of the kick in the butt that I needed to go across that room and actually go meet Ron Simmons. And still, it's, I think to this day, outside of my own mentors, outside of Crimson, um, Crazy Steve, Coach Plunkett, or, or Coach Tom Latimer, outside of any of those guys, I think he's the first person in pro wrestling I've been like, hey, can I get a picture with you? And I, I, I had posted that and I was just like, you know, fanboying over it. I'd never really had a moment to fanboy in pro wrestling yet. And that was literally my first time. So, you know, being able to meet one of those guys that I wanted to emulate or I wanted to follow in their same footsteps has been a big deal for me. So what uh, you said earlier that your, your mom was very uh, disapproving of your enjoyment of pro wrestling. What does she think now that you are in the industry? Uh, <laughs> You know, this is the thing. My mom was always more in favor of, hey, go get a job. Go get two jobs. Go join the military. Go be a doctor. Go be an entomologist like you wanted to do whenever you were growing up. Do those things. With pro wrestling, just have a backup. I don't know. I don't think it's going to work out. I just want you to have a backup. And after that first match, the very first match I was in with Coach Plunkett, she completely changed her tune. She was all in, all aboard when it came to pro wrestling. Uh, she even actually told me some more stories about her in pro wrestling, about how she actually used to go out to the shows and watch pro wrestling. I didn't know she knew anything about them. She was telling me about the Fargos. She was telling me about the Jarrett family. And I was like, all these things I never knew that you knew. I didn't know you were really in the business like that. It's, uh, that uh, might be why she doesn't like wrestling today. <laughs> if, she, <laughs> if she remembers wrestling from those days. Yeah, so like I'm sitting here wondering why, you know, back then, obviously in those uh, those days with that era, she was always hating on wrestling so much. So I, I guess maybe it just changed too much for her, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm stuck in my old ways. I don't want to see this newfangled wrestling crap. Let me let me see my old school territory days type of wrestling." So maybe that's what it was. When uh, when I was growing up, uh, my mom was very like supportive of me and my brother watching wrestling. We'd get all the WWF pay-per-views, all the WCW pay-per-views, and she mm. absolutely hated Ric Flair and the Horsemen with a passion. And it wasn't <laughs> until years later that I found out that when she was younger, um, my my grandfather would take her to the Grand Olympic Auditorium, which is like the mecca of pro wrestling in Los Angeles, and mm. and they would go see like guys like Gorgeous George or guys like uh, uh, Freddie Blassie. Or John Tolo. So it's kind of funny that you bring it up that your mom was sitting there watching wrestling and, and my mom did the same thing. So I think that's kind of cool. 
Um, oh yeah, those secret fans, those those shameful fans. Like you should never grow up and and decide that hey, I hate pro wrestling now because it seems <laughs> like it's for kids. No, it's for everybody. It, it spans multiple generations. I'd always be proud to say that I'm a wrestling fan, even if I wasn't a pro wrestler. I'd still be proud to this day to be like, yeah, not only was I a wrestling fan, I'm still a wrestling fan. Um, you you mentioned Coach Plunkett, Coach uh, uh, Coach Latimer, and of course Crimson, um, Anthony Mayweather. <laughs> Is that where you got started then? Was that uh, at Tried and True Pro Wrestling, or where did you get started in in the sport of pro wrestling? Yeah, I mean, it might be Tried and True Pro Wrestling. It might be where I started. I I saw you repping it, and I kind of knew, but I just wanted to confirm it. Oh, yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm one of those guys who I was there since the very first show. I wasn't working for Crips at that time. Whenever he started back in 2015 here in Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, I was at every show to watch it as a fan. I don't think I missed a single show. Uh, and then I got the call from a uh, mutual friend of ours, uh, somebody who's a family friend for a very long time. I think uh, he just stepped back from his uh, his radio career, but Mr. Mo Bradshaw, and I owe that man a lot because he ended up just calling me and telling me, hey, I don't know what you're doing right now, man. I'm sorry at short notice, but uh, we need some security. I don't know if we can pay you. And I stopped him right there. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care how much you guys are paying. I don't care if I'm getting paid anything or at all i'm coming in there and i'm working for crimson this is my end to be a part of the wrestling business i'm working for this guy so in 2017 that happened and uh you know made for sure i I held that loyalty to crimson through everything and a year later we're starting training in 2018 and then a little bit further just a few months later i'm wrestling plunkett in my very first match after having him train me for those three months wow so you know it was the a lot of a little bit of luck a lot of bit of the the right place right time type of thing for me and it's a quick turnaround too, because you said 2017 is is when mm. you got that phone call, but you were mm. you you stepped into that NWA ring for those first set of TV tapings in 2019. That I mean oh, that's, yeah. that's that's a short amount of time to be uh, in that position. Uh, what oh, was yeah. it like for you? Um, I mean, you can go down. It, it'll always be said about Mims is that you were one of the guys that was on that first episode of Power. You know, here mm. we are. Uh, I went, we're, we're approaching the live episode uh, next Tuesday, actually, the, the 31st. And you were there on that first episode. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, honestly, it was a fantastic experience. I got told about it just to like, uh, probably about like two months beforehand. It was at one of the last shows we had where Lagana was looking for, uh, Dave Lagana, he was looking for people to be a part of that show. To come in there and, you know, face the new champions, introduce them. And show basically how great the new champions are. And it just happened to be the champions they were trying to show off that I happened to be um, a part of their match. I got blessed to be a part of. Happened to be the wild cards, which had one of my coaches in it. So, um, you know, obviously I jumped for the chance. I said, yes, immediately, please put me on this. Even though I'm thinking, hey, I'm only like a year or so into this. I'm not ready for TV. I'm not ready for this. I didn't care. The only thing I cared about was being able to push further my wrestling career, being able to challenge myself and taking any opportunity that's given to me. Like uh, one of my coaches, uh, Crazy Steve, had said to me, he was like, in the wrestling business, you got to hurry up and wait. Yeah. And I wasn't going to sit here and continue to wait. I'm going to do the part where I have to hurry up, which is getting any opportunity I can and taking it as fast as possible. So the experience was great because, again, I was in there with somebody who just three days beforehand was showing me a couple new moves, showing me how to take a tombstone pile driver and, see, and, and showing me different spots that I hadn't learned just yet. And so I'm going to obviously be very comfortable and, uh, 
even a little bit more nervous, you know, to be careful, make for sure I don't hurt coach, make for sure I don't make coach look bad in his first match on the first episode of the show. So it was a great experience overall. Honestly, the jitters didn't really hit me as hard as they normally do. Even to this day, I get worse jitters than I ever got in that match. <laughs> and it's a great feeling to know that I've been able to see from the beginning of this era of NWA and uh, in the show Power all the way till now, I've always been a part of it. There's only been one season of Power I've missed so far. And I think that was just that season I got that concussion. Other than that, I've been here for everything. DK, did you have some questions you'd like to ask? <laughs> well, sure. Let me know. Uh, so you, you talk about taking advantage of every chance you can. So are there other promotions in the area that you're working? I mean, how, how often would you work and do you work in an average month? Yeah, in an average month, I'm still kind of getting the hang on the whole uh, walking around the Indies thing and getting my bookings. I'm still kind of new to it just because I usually got my bookings through, you know, my coaches would uh, help me out and a lot of networking here and there. And now I'm kind of really trying to ramp it up. I'm trying to stay as busy as possible. And I want, you know, one of my first big goals in pro wrestling, you know, first major milestones I think I want to achieve and I want to do my best to possibly achieve that here in 2023 is doing this full time. You know, making for sure that wrestling is the only thing that's on my schedule. No longer having a regular nine to five, not having other sources of income besides just wrestling. I want wrestling to pay every single bill. It pays a lot of bills right now. Uh, that Billy Corgan money is definitely paying some bills, but it's not paying every single bill. And it definitely can get that way. I want to have more of those reps outside the independence. Uh, well, not outside the independence, I'm sorry, outside of the NWA, because most of my reps in pro wrestling have all been NWA reps. Most of those matches that I've wrestled have all been NWA matches, which is great. I've learned a ton of things that you're not going to learn on the independence. You're not going to learn sitting in training. You're going to have to get out there and do it. And so I just want to be able to balance myself out as a pro wrestler with not just being on television, not just getting those reps there and learning how to work TV. I want to get those old school reps to really make the best workers in the business, which is being out there on those independents, walking and talking, being with those grizzled vets, the ones that that know a ton, know a ton and can teach a ton. And I'm ready to get out there as much as possible. There's a lot of promotions around here in Tennessee I've worked at. Uh, here and there, I recently just came back from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, where I was working for another NWA star, uh, the Pope, Elijah Burke, worked for his charity at the Level Live Charity. Uh, so we got to do a, a charity drive for the homeless and disenfranchised in Jacksonville, where we handed out a lot of shoes, shirts, pants, clothing in general, and a lot of food. And then after that, we got to do some wrestling. The farthest I've traveled for wrestling so far is definitely Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I also just recently did a show uh, with Jeff Jarrett out there in Ashland City, Tennessee. So about like 20, 30 minutes away from me, we were doing it another uh, fundraiser event uh, to battle against addiction and to help those that want to reach out for rehab. And that was something that was near and dear to Mr. Jarrett. And I was glad to be a part of that. Uh, so there's still more independence I want to be a part of. And obviously, like, you know, it's I've had my little streak of being able to wrestle for a good cause. And that's another reason why I want to continue to move out there and spread a bit further out than just Tennessee. So there's more places that need help. There's more places that I can go and raise money for those that are less fortunate. There's more places I can go and lend a hand at. And, you know, if I want to, sprinkle in a little bit of wrestling on top of that. <laughs> well, let's talk about what may be your biggest moment so far. Mm -hmm. All right. So we had the Tyra Slam Challenge. And, you know, I'll be honest, I was one of those people that thought, oh, great, we get to go 10 years of people trying to plan Tyrus. Yeah. And it not working because, you know, I, 
I, I'm 54. I grew up in the territory days. Yeah. So, you know, I remember that with Kamala and Big John Studd and, you know, a lot of people in wrestling, King Kong Bundy and everything. Hmm. So I was like, you know, this this is this could be interesting, but I could also see it being long and whatever. So here it is, the second week. Uh, Mims is out there. And Mims slams tires. Now, that he did. Let me tell you, there was no bigger supporter for Mims winning the TV title at that point than me. I, I think oh, that was... I think we uh, collectively were very much hoping that that you were going to take that TV title off of uh, off uh, uh, Tyrus. But yeah. But just getting back to that moment, mm. when you found, how did you find out out about it? And you know what they tell you? And I mean, did you realize the opportunity that was being presented there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if anything, the biggest opportunity that I saw with that uh, before we even got into any conversation about winning the TV title or anything like that was just being able to work with Tyrus. This is somebody else that I also watched on TV growing up. So I was excited to go ahead and work with him. Obviously intimidated, too. I mean, he's the biggest guy on the roster. He's he's called a monster or a manster for a reason. (laughs) And so um, the if I could even just talk about the opportunity to win the television title to even go for it in the first place. Uh, Because you don't know until it happens. You don't. Uh, When I finally slammed him, it was a big deal for me. I'm not going to lie to you. I was second-guessing myself a little bit. I was like, you I am big, strong Mims. I I know that's not just a gimmick, but could I slam Tyrus though? Could I really pick this man up and and slam him? Could I really do that? Uh, And whenever it happened, the moment was one of the, uh, to steal something from The Rock, one of the most electrifying moments in sports entertainment today for me. For me, I had uh, I wasn't even nervous when I went out. Um, it was it was such a hype moment, and you know sometimes those are fear and far between with pro wrestling, where you have those truly hyped up moments to where everybody is out of their seats, screaming, cheering, and you you you're, you're beside yourself whenever you're in that ring, knowing you caused that moment and still living in that same moment. And I, I couldn't even hear myself think. I couldn't even hear myself think. I couldn't hear anything about it. Anybody was saying because the cheers were so loud in that room. The videos we have of it do not do it justice for how loud it was in there. All those fans, and there's not always a lot of fans in the studio setting. It's more intimate, and I do prefer that. But, you know, these people were screaming at the top of their lungs. They hadn't been that loud. I have never heard them that loud, at least when I'm out there. So it was a great moment for me. And then hearing, hey, you got your television title shot. I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm more than focused. If anything, I'm humbled by the fact that I even get to be in this position. So it was it was a great experience overall. And still, it's one of the biggest moments that I'm proud of. When I show people pro wrestling and I'm like, hey, you want to see something I did? You want to see something that makes me look like I'm a, I'm, I'm a top-tier talent, something that makes me feel great about pro wrestling and about myself as a pro wrestler? I show them that moment in the Slam Challenge. I show them that. Well, and then my last conversation piece this go around at least mm-hmm. is uh so jay and i were in new orleans so we got to see you challenge uh clearwater for yes the, for the tv title uh mm-hmm. one of us won't speak for day one of us was kind of hoping it would be a quick t- <laughs> a quick title ranking for clearwater who <laughs> i'm also a big fan of by the way yeah so uh i I am hoping 
But maybe we'll get a Clearwater Mims rivalry going. I think two young guys that have shown a lot of talent and a lot of promise. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, like, you, you wouldn't think. Don't don't undersell me here. Don't sell me short. You wouldn't think that after me chasing this title for over a year now, you think <laughs> I'm just going to give up on it now? Absolutely not. I have the perfect golden opportunity in front of me to win that championship finally, something that's been eluding me for that long of a time. Obviously, at this point, it's not, it's not business. It's not a sports rivalry thing anymore. It's a personal thing. I've been kept away from that title by two different opponents now. And I've had other people step in my way, obviously, because I've had to fight to be number one contender multiple times now. And then still get knocked back down. And it's, it's Jordan Clearwater. It's one of our best up-and-coming talents. And there's a reason why Tyrus picked him to be in his group. I mean, a lot of people will undersell Jordan and, and think less of him because, what, because he, he has the golden boy name, he does a little hip swivel. No, this man is legit. There's a reason why he's television champion. There's a reason why I should be television champion because of the fact that we are high caliber talent and he's some of the highest caliber talent we have in the NWA. Again, that's why it's, that's why Tyrus is surrounding himself with greatness, but that's something that does not phase me. That's something that's not important to me. I don't care about how great of a talent he is. I don't care about what he does to get Tyrus's attention or Tyrus's approval because all I'm worried about, all I'm worried about myself is getting my title, getting the thing that I not only have earned, but also that I deserve. Something I feel like I've been robbed of in, a certain, in certain instances, but I'm not going to sit here and cry about it. All I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and join up with my team in Knoxville next Tuesday. We're going to win the champion series, and immediately afterwards, I'm going to go ahead and plant the seeds so I can take that title off of Jordan. And, you know, if there's a rivalry there, you know, because me as a champion, I'm predicting the future. I'm going to say as a champion, I am totally open to any challenges that come. Whatever makes it easier for me to get faster and faster and faster at completing the Lucky Sevens Challenge so I can go up and challenge Tyrus and beat him for that world title, do as you must. If you want to come out and face me three times a week, lose three times a week. <laughs> if you want to do that so I can have my Lucky Sevens in two weeks, or, well, uh, you got to do it seven times, so about three weeks, roughly. And then the fourth week, I am challenging Tyrus for the title. If that's what you want to do, then that's fine. That's fine with me. I take on all challenges. It's only helping me. It's only hurting other people's egos, and it's only helping me to be champion. But, you know, that's me predicting the future. Well, let, well, let, me, let me throw some flowers at you because I, as someone who's watched the NWA for the last, gosh, uh, maybe 15 years um, and, and have been reporting on the NWA, talking about the NWA, I do feel like uh, the, the next – generation of the nwa stars are already on the roster i feel like um guys like you and guys like jordan clearwater are going to be that bridge that carries the nwa forward into the next five or ten years and and having the opportunity to see witness uh yourself and a guy like jordan clearwater um i, I hope the hell that you guys get to fight each other every day and every uh, tv taping i think you know the the expression that steel sharpens steel um, and that test of your medal against, again, someone who's equally can carry that NWA name like I feel like you'll be able to carry in the future. I I, I really want to just toss you that compliment and say I, I'm all for it. Um, and it, it's kind of ironic you. that, uh, you know, you, you've kind of had this unending feud against the 
idol mania sports management almost like since day one because uh you know wrestling against tyrus and then the body slam challenge and then fighting against Sion and then Jordan Clearwater. And, and, and it just seems like this never ending feud with you and, and the, the anyone that uh, represents idol mania sports management. Uh, how do you feel about working with that group of characters? I mean, look, uh, like we said, we just paid uh, Jordan Clearwater just a high compliment as we gave you, but also, I mean, um, Sion's in that group. And of course, Tyrus, the world's heavyweight champion. You can't take away from a group that has basically the, uh, all the singles gold in the NWA right now. Oh yeah, you you can't take that away from them. And then this is our world champion that we're talking about. This is the best, the best. That's what I was going to heap the praise on him about. You know, me challenging two of the best in the NWA for the NWA television title. Me losing is something that doesn't embarrass me because I know the high quality, the high caliber of opponent that I'm going against. So there's a reason why they have the titles. Same thing with this group. That's the reason why this group is dominant. Austin Idol is a manager that obviously he was known first before for his very dominant career in pro wrestling. But obviously, he's very dominant as a manager, too. He's making the stars. And I can't count out Black G's. This is a group that has two managers. This is a group that, you know, you could argue each and every one of them don't even need a manager. They're that good. But they've got two of the best in the game right now. That's something I can't sell short. They're making stars. And, you know, this is a never-ending feud because I guess one of us in this feud, me and the other side being like a whole group of guys, I guess one of us, probably me, is just not understanding the idea of giving up. Maybe they've rattled my brains a few times, dislocated the shoulder, broke a couple other things, and beat me up uh, a, a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more than a, a little bit. But something that Big Strong Mims doesn't do is uh, give up. I don't turn tail. I don't run. There's something that I want from that group, and that's something I'm going to get from that group. They can keep knocking me down. I'm going to keep on getting back up. I don't say die. They can find their time. They want to walk away from me, and that's cool. If I'm not satisfied, I'm not wake up. I'm not walking away from it. It'll be a never-ending feud until I say so. Until until some of us either get injured beyond belief, we get out of the business, or I guess I get distracted by something else in the NWA. But right now, my eyes are too focused on the NWA television title, and then you know maybe paying a visit to the world champion of ours. So I think I'm a little bit too focused to be worried about anything else. So. If anybody has to be to blame about this never-ending feud, right here, this guy. Now, man, you're a big, strong guy. How big? Mm -hmm. How big are you? How strong are you? I mean, you look like a guy that can uh, bench a little bit and probably uh, two fifty somewhere around there. I mean, two more. I mean, what? what, what uh, well, yeah, I'm definitely guys. Um, I'm definitely uh, putting on a couple plates or so. You know, my, my squats are in the 500s, and I'm in, my, my little bench press is in the 400s. My curls is in the 80s, they're in the 90s or whatnot, what I'm talking about, just using these little dumbbell curls. So I'm a little bit of a strong guy. You know, I'm, I'm chest pressing up there in the fives, almost sixes. So I'm definitely kind of strong, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and also, uh, you know, big, I ain't mean, hey. Let's put it like this. Being big, strong bims is not always about physical size. And I'm only coming up with this excuse because I'm I'm five foot eleven. I'm never gonna lie about how tall I am. When I'm in those boots, I'm six foot one. But when I'm outside them boots, I'm five eleven and a half on a good day. And I'm about um eh, looking at two fifty. I, I slimmed down a little bit since the earlier days of the NWA when I was walking out at a hefty two seventy. So I'm um uh, <laughs> I'm definitely a 
big guy and strong guy and it's not a gimmick it's, it's obviously i am big and strong physically but on top of that it's all about the the big strong brain the big strong heart the big strong eyes the the focus that i have that makes me bigger and stronger the fact that i always have my hand out to help others that are in need the fact that i'm a protector i'm a provider i'm a defender those are the things that make me a big strong person and anybody can be a big strong person you don't have to lift the most weights you don't have to be the tallest guy you don't have to be the biggest guy it's all in here that's where it comes from, and that's kind of the philosophy I want to teach to people. That yeah, I happen to have it on the outside, but it all came from the inside. The moment I snap, uh, the moment I snailed my way out of the womb, <laughs> I was big and strong. I was all big right. and strong. I had that big and strong heart beating in my chest, and I still do to this day. Even when I die, big strong, being a big strong person that doesn't go away. That's a state of mind. That's a state of being that anybody can achieve, and I encourage everybody to achieve it. If you, if you can't do it on your own, you got big, strong memes on television every Tuesday and on some sort of pay-per-view at least every couple of months to show you exactly how to be that way. Well, that's 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 very inspirational. That's that's some good stuff right there, Mims. And I'm 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 happy to hear that come out of your mouth. It you know it kind of sounds like somebody else uh, on the NWA roster too, like uh, the the Pope, the man that you tagged mm-hmm. with at the Crockett Cup. In fact, I was kind of looking at the list, and you've had about five different tag team partners since you debuted in the NWA, going back to Danny White and also most mm. recently uh, uh, teaming with the Pope uh, at the Crockett Cup. Have you have you put any consideration into becoming a tag team wrestler, and and, and do you have a tag team partner that you've teamed with that you uh, you think that you guys could do something uh, a little bit spectacular? No pun intended, of course. Uh, in the oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with the tag team thing, uh, I actually started out that way. So me and one of my uh, partners, my my best friend, uh, he was uh, he was my training partner also at our school. He got trained in a little different location, then came and joined up with us over there at the Tried and True Academy. Uh, you might have seen him on NWA a few times as Migs, Mr. Miguel Robles. He was actually my tag partner starting out. So any of the smaller shows, those independents we were going out to, we were going out to as a tag team. Now, unfortunately, Migs is on a little bit of a hiatus. He had some personal issues come up. So the wrestling life is a little bit on the back burner right now. Right. But also right now, there's another person who happened to be a little bit infrequent on NWA television, but he's definitely part of that NWA roster. Uh, the DOG, Mr. Devin Ozell Graves. And just last week at that same Jeff Jarrett event that I was talking about in Ashland City, Tennessee, we made our debut as a tag team. Now, the name we're still working on, but I guarantee you this, the finish that we happen to hit them, uh, it'll be gotten boys with uh, – namely Mr. Jeremiah Plunkett, you know, <laughs> that we happened to hit that on. It was very thunderous. It was uh, it was big. It was strong. And uh, it had him out uh, pretty long, if you know what I'm saying. You know, hey, we just, uh, we happen to have great chemistry together. We train together. And I'm hoping to get this man to help me to rise up through the tag team ranks, you know, because I can't just have my mind focused on just one thing. You know, I got to have my, my fingers in a couple different, you know, pies you know what i'm saying sure and so i'd like to have a tag team partner in the in the nwa not only to go after those tag team titles but also because again you guys already know i'm in a feud i'm in a war a never-ending war the, with tons of battles against austin's austin idol and black jesus idol mania sports management right so i need some backup right who else can i trust than somebody i've trained with someone that's close to me already and uh you can never have too many friends if you know what i mean absolutely 
Um, if we can go back a little bit in the way back machine, I know in uh, during the pandemic, you know, the NWA shut down. There wasn't a whole lot of wrestling going on. There were, you know, of course, the WWE was still producing content. AEW hmm. still producing content. Impact Wrestling was still producing content. In fact, you were invited to be on a few of the uh, tapings for the explosion. Tell me a little bit about uh, that opportunity, how that came, how that you came across that opportunity, and tell me what it felt like to step into the uh, the impact zone, if you will. I, I know it was in the uh, Skyway Studios, the same place that the NWA tapes a lot of uh, wrestling at, but uh, how was it to, to be a part of that company for a few days? Oh, it was excellent. I mean, if anything, I'm always appreciative for the opportunity to work anywhere and work with anybody. So my time at Impact, I can definitely say I can look back on it with the rose tinted glasses and still see the same picture I would see without them. Uh, just because I had a good time there being able to help out and do uh, do work as their ring crew and their security, uh, you know, because we had to get whatever work we can. And I'm just right. glad it happened to be with Impact Wrestling of all places because it's a great company. It's one that I love a lot of people that wrestle on that show. I've been very vocal and I finally got to tell her. But Taya Valkyrie is one of my favorite wrestlers, period. Not male or female, just one of my favorite wrestlers oh, in general, especially currently operating. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to finally tell her to her face. Now, that wasn't an Impact. That was an NWA, but I finally got to tell her. Uh, she was one of the main reasons I watched Impact, one of my favorite reasons to watch Impact, um, because I just loved her matches. I loved her work. And so being able to be there and see some of the stuff up close and, you know, kind of having the secrets that I had to hold about, you know, oh, this person's winning this, this person's winning that. And just kind of to have the atmosphere of Impact Wrestling around was a really great experience. And I was surprised in, you know, obviously very lucky and humbled to be able to not only be there for Impact Wrestling and be backstage, but also actually wrestle on the show. You know, I had a great experience in my match against Zach Wentz, and then I had an even better experience in my match against Reno Scum. Uh, quality guys, really good guys. They took care of me whenever I was in that ring with them, and uh, we made magic in there. You know, I was still a young guy, still very green. I'm still very green to this day, just slightly less green, slightly less green. And they took care of me those matches, and we made something good. We made something I can be proud of. And so... Um, I enjoy the opportunities that I got through uh, D'Lo and Tommy Dreamer and obviously Scott Demore believing in me to at least give me the opportunity to show my stuff a little bit, have a little bit of a tryout that everybody gets to see. So I really appreciate my time there and I enjoyed it. You mentioned Reno scum and those guys. Uh, uh, I don't have too many people I call friends in the business, but I, I got to travel with those guys to China and uh, they've done a lot of shows in my area, my backyard. So I've, I've, uh, I have a very high esteem for both uh, uh, Luster and, and Adam. They're a couple of great guys, and uh, I'm glad that you got to work with them because I feel like they're a, a fundamentally phenomenal tag team, and I, I feel like I feel like they would be a good fit for the NWA as well if if, uh, if Billy's ever looking for more tag teams. Oh yeah, those guys would be a good fit anywhere. Honestly, uh, they're great professional guys, and they know exactly what they're doing. Honestly, I felt very comfortable being able to work with those guys. Uh, everything felt great. Everything uh, when it came to the actual match itself, it was hard hitting. It was fast paced, and I really enjoyed sitting back and watching it. I mean, I made one mistake myself, ended up busting up my knee on that crossbody I tried to do. Uh, but other than that, I was like, this match is great. And one of the big reasons is because we're working with Reno Scum. Right. People that are very trusted in that locker room, or they're very trusted in general because they're a great tag team. They work together well. And, um, you know, I even remember watching them in their debut match uh, when it came to Impact Wrestling. And then it was kind of funny that I got to be a part of, like, you know, one of their, I guess, 
I think around the time, I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly or whatever, I think one of their last matches with the company is so far, at least for right now, because you never know what can happen. Right. Uh, right. So it's pretty nice to be a part of that. So then, um, I, I and again, I appreciate your time. I know this was, uh, <laughs> you, some, some things came up, and I, I know you're waiting to go eat, so I do appreciate you being patient with us. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you a few more questions, though, before we let you go. Uh, yeah. What was the uh, crowning achievement? Obviously, slamming Tyrus was a very big deal, and that's hmm. led to some opportunity for you. But what is the biggest moment, in your opinion, that you've had in the NWA? Oh, by all means, it's definitely uh, tagging with Pope at the Crockett Cup. That's still something I hold near and dear to my heart. If anything, if I have my way, I'm going to frame the picture of us walking out <laughs> and doing our poses together because that was a big deal for me. Pope knows at least he has some sort of idea. I try to tell him as much as possible how much I appreciate him. I appreciated his career and what he's done for me, uh, whether he's been doing it directly or just having a good time in his own career. And that's inspiring me to be where I'm at right now. So that's probably my biggest crowning achievement. I didn't even think I was going to be a part of the Crockett Cup. That's another big thing with that. It's not only getting the honor to be in the, in, in the Crockett Cup, be a part of history, but also doing it along one of your – one of the veterans that you look up to and that now I can say is one of my mentors, somebody that I can call, uh, I can call him at least like a few times a week if he's about to answer. He's the busiest man in the world. And right. I actually sit there and have a conversation with him, either about wrestling or just, you know, talking about life. And I really appreciated being able to have that moment. I feel like that only solidified the bond that me and him had. Oh. So that's my, that's my biggest moment. The My other question for you is, because I, I like to go to the highs and the lows, right? What was the moment that you'd rather we all forgot about uh, that you had in the NWA? What's something that you're like, man, you know, if, if I could, if I could run that back, I think I'd do it differently. Uh, honestly, for anything that's on camera, no, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm pretty proud of everything that I've done on camera. I'd like to stick by any of my work that I had, good or bad. There's not really anything I'd like anybody to forget. I wouldn't think that I'm a really well-rounded person. So even in my real life, I don't want people to forget about the bad moments that I had. Just right. because it makes those moments where you move on from that and you grow that much better. You know, if you're already a great person, I can't congratulate you on your growth if you make no mistakes <laughs> and you're the greatest person on the planet. And I can't really appreciate your growth forward because you didn't grow. You were always great. You were always perfect. So I think I stand by everything that I do. So there's nothing I don't I, I want anybody to forget. Remember all of it. Remember uh, thicker, big, strong mems. Uh, remember pre-big, big, strong mems. Remember the multiple different sets of gear that didn't work until <laughs> I finally found something that fit, like fit in more ways than one. You know, I, I think people should remember all of that. You know, I like to... I like to think about John Cena's career and that some of my career can mirror his. And we don't forget any of the moments of the prototype or whenever he finally stepped into WWE or even going forward. And there was definitely mistakes. There was flub ups. There was ups and downs with it. But again, without remembering all those things being there for the downs, the ups aren't as great, you know? So uh, January 31st is literally just uh, a few days away. Um, tell me what you're looking forward most to being back in front of the, uh, in front of an audience being, uh, you know, teaming and wrestling. We, we don't really know. Uh, it hasn't really been conveyed to the audience yet what kind of matchup you're going to be in um, on, on Tuesday night. But uh, you're going to be on live TV. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm excited for it. I treat every moment as if we're on live TV, whether I'm in front of an audience of a thousand, an audience of a hundred, and an audience of one. Whether there's a camera there or not, you always treat it like it's live because you don't get to do do-overs, brother. We're alive. I know that's how it works. 
And so, you know, I'm excited to be there in front of a live audience. I'm excited to be there in front of a live camera that knows we're getting direct feed of everything that we're doing. But I'm really excited to team with the team that I have. I'm very confident in team rock and roll that we're going to head. We're going to go ahead and win this champion series. Last year, I was a runner-up in the champion series. This year, I don't plan on being a runner-up anymore. I plan on this year being a bit different for myself in my career and then also different in general for the NWA. We're in for a new a new era of the NWA, one that I guess people are thinking it's all going to be headed off by Tyrus and his group. I'm not thinking so. I think it's going to be Mims this year this year. That's a, that's a bold prediction. Uh there's a lot of things coming up right uh, right out the gate. Obviously, the live TV taping. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got the the pay per view. That's just a few weeks after that. Uh, Mexico with the World is a Vampire um, Festival. Uh, do you mm-hmm. know if you'll be in Mexico City for that World is a Vampire Festival? I would hope so. I've never been to Mexico before, and I'd like to make my first trip as a professional wrestler. Uh, you know, just instead of a vacation, I mean, vacations are great, but I'd rather my vacations be work vacations. Pro wrestling is not a job for me. It's a career for me only in the fact that, you know, you love a career. You might hate a job. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to be in Mexico, but again, you don't know until you know. So I would say, hey, stay tuned, watch out for Big Strong Mims, and, and hope that I'm at wherever NWA television is going to be at. And more than likely, I will. Well, that's awesome. I, I I know you're waiting for dinner, and I apologize for keeping <laughs> you so long, man. Thank you so much for your time. We we'll hope to uh, touch base with you later down the road, maybe maybe towards the end of the year, and uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see how much uh, your predictions have come true. Maybe maybe we'll oh, yeah. talking to the next television champion. Oh yeah, I'm confident in it. I have a big strong belief that I will be television champion by the end of this year. You never know. I might be world heavyweight champion by the end of this year. Who knows? We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll find out. A difference that a year can make will be staggering. That's that's awesome, Mims. Thank you so much for your time. Uh you go have a good meal and uh we'll, we're going to be watching on Tuesday the 31st. Best of luck to you. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Have a good night now. Oh, we just lost him. <laughs> well, uh, that was Mims. Uh, I know uh, he uh, he only had thirty, so we kept him for fifty. I don't. I think his lady's going to be mad at him, and I apologize to Miss Mims out there. Uh, but uh, how about that, huh? Yeah, that was a really good interview. I'm I enjoyed that a lot. He, uh, man. Hearing him talk, um, like I knew he was a smart guy. I've heard him in other interviews. I know he was very well spoken, all that stuff. I, I was kind of surprised how uh, motivational he was, how positive he was. And as somebody who likes to practice uh, that positive mental attitude, I found it quite refreshing. Jaden, uh, what, what did you think? Is, is he somebody that might fit down with the uh, Dangerous Adrenaline Wrestling Gladiators at some point? He's bigger than almost all the roster, except for maybe like Patch and maybe one or two others. But you know, he can talk, he can wrestle, he's got a great personality. I think he's big deal. I think he's going to be going big places, whether, you know, as much as I love to say dogs, big places, but I think he's going to go big places very soon. I think Mims right now, the sky's the limit for him. <laughs> so, so Poyo's in the chat and Poyo says, boo, Mims is terrible. Uh, Mims is a big, strong cheater. Uh, Boo, that darn dirty, no good or done, cheated us at Duval Brawl and got a money, power, respect beatdown for it. And boo her positive perspectives. So that's the trifecta there. Uh, Poyo is going to come on this show, I think, like maybe the first week of February, if we can get her. Um, 
I know that's around the TV taping, so maybe not then, but but soon, soon, of course. Um, and thanks to, to Poyle for helping uh, reach out to Mims and, and make that connection for us. Uh, he's somebody that I've wanted to have on the show for a while. Glad we got to do that. Glad we got to do that here on the Alliance Guys podcast. And uh, Poyle said, soon. Um, sorry, guys, that we didn't jump to a lot of your comments during the interview, but uh, I knew that he was literally standing in front of the restaurant and I did not want to keep him as long as uh, it, I was hoping for 60 minutes. He was looking for 30 and we met somewhere in the middle at 50. So I'll take what I can get. You know, the interesting thing is I was talking about a rivalry between him and Jordan Clearwater. And both of those are guys that, yeah, you know, probably be a couple of years or whatever, but could very easily uh, move on and up in the world. And uh, I think, I almost think that I would want both of them because I, you know, when you look back at wrestling and you look at back at rivalries between like Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and we always remember their yeah. trilogy where the titles changed hands and most people rank, you know, either the middle one or the last one as the as one of the best matches ever, Ric Flair said. He goes, it's kind of sad. He goes, because they had much better matches than that, you know, back when they were traveling just the Crockett Crockett territory and, you know, feuding over the TV belt or the U.S. belt. They feuded over the TV belt when it was the Mid-Atlantic TV belt. They feuded over the United States title. They feuded over the world title. They probably feuded over the Middle Atlantic title, but they never won it back and forth from each other. And it's just one of those. I I think you could get something like that out of Clearwater Mims. I think that's something that if you start now and get a good rivalry going, you know, who's the heel, who's the face may change over the years. But I think you could, you know, 20 years from now, you could be watching whatever replaces WWE and, uh, you know, see those two at the top of the card, near the top of the card, still, still going. Now, personally, me, I wanted to see him against Danny Limelight. What do you think of that one, Jay? I look, uh, Danny Limelight is a lot smaller than Mims. I mean, Danny Limelight is, you know, standing at like 195, and that's after a considerable amount uh, in the gym and, and putting on protein, you know, packing down the protein, putting on the weight, he got to 195. He's shooting for 200, but I mean, he's still, again, his frame is is not that big. Uh, but I, you know, I, I do see that Danny Limelight can very much be a giant killer in the world of professional wrestling. And if he is put into a matchup with a guy like Mims, um, I'm certainly sure that, that we could see some interesting things happen. Obviously, Mims with the with a huge power advantage, but Danny is so quick and fast. I, I mean, that's one of those matches where they say like you know styles make matches, but then the style clashes makes even inter- more interesting matches. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, and he's you know he mentioned that he wanted to get out more on the indies, and I think like 
you know, one of the great things about the NWA is you're guaranteed work. You've got these tapings. Um, you've got the pay-per-views. He said, like, I don't know how many pay-per-views. Billy's talking six pay-per-views this year. Um, and, you know, right out the gate, they've got one just uh, in a couple of weeks in February. And in, uh, in, I think it's in Tampa. And and uh, but it would be great for him to get out. You know, there's 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 a whole big world outside of Clarksville, Tennessee. And as somebody as talented as that kid is and as energetic as as he is about wrestling and Again, he's uh, you you know he he just seems so positive. I think that's such a great trait to have when you're trying to, you know, make it in this industry. Man, he he really does have a lot of opportunity to show up and really anywhere. I agree, and um, hopefully he does get out there more. You really need to wrestle in as many different places as possible if you really want to learn. If he wrestles only in the NWA and only in the, in the Tennessee area, he's going to stagnate. He yeah. really needs to get out there, and I hope he does, get out there to the places that he may not be comfortable with or he may not be used to, but I think it'll make a big deal for him trying to, again, move that step up that ladder and become that next level. I mean, I don't know how much it'll impact his uh, um position in the NWA, but, you know, Dave Marquez is starting up uh, Derby City Wrestling out in Kentucky. Um, you know, there's Memphis Wrestling that has TV that's that's uh, not too far. I mean, in Memphis from Clarksville, I don't think it's just a few hours. Uh, you know, our pal uh, Doty, or excuse me, our pal uh, Mike brought up that, hey, Northeast Tennessee Innovative Wrestling's coming back. Um, you know, there, even just outside of that that general area, too, I mean, there's, there's wrestling all over, and it, there's no... <laughs> If you're good, you can find you can get booked. And I think that's you know, I, I look back, you know, when I kind of started watching independent wrestling is around the same time that the WWE had that developmental uh, Deep South wrestling, and uh, no, excuse me, I'm, they were actually Memphis wrestling. I guess it was with uh, 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 Brian Kendrick who was going by Spanky and Brian Danielson who was going by the American Dragon and Lance Cade. Um, who were like uh, the, kind of like three of Shawn Michaels' students who got signed to the WWE? Um, they were they were cut. They were let go. They were told we don't have any opportunity for you here. And Jim Ross told each one of them, "Hey, go get go make your fortune, go make your name outside of the WWE, and we'll look at you later." Um, Cade was one of those guys that kind of stuck around with the WWE a little bit longer. But Brian Kendrick came out here to Southern California. Oddly enough, Danielson went to Northern California, and both of them made their way back into the WWE again down the road. Of course, Danielson's probably one of the biggest names in professional wrestling today. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen because he stayed in one area. He he wrestled all over the world. Brian Danielson's okay. He's no Daniel Bryan. <laughs> well, Daniel Bryan, you know, had a WrestleMania moment. You know, Brian Danielson never did. Very true. So, uh, that, so, yeah, I was very happy with that interview. I, was, I, was, I did want it to go longer, but, uh, again, the poor guy was literally sitting out in the cold waiting to eat dinner. Um, Doty says uh, probably five to six pay-per-views this year. No clue whether this Power Live in Mexico show will be considered as a pay-per-view because it will be an NWA big event. I, now, I don't think those are going to be considered pay-per-views. I mean, look, we're getting um, the rumor mill, and I've, I, I've heard – I don't know if there uh, – I haven't heard it confirmed by a press announcement, but I heard there will be another Crockett Cup in 2023. I've heard that, uh, you know, well, we know for a fact that they have their first pay-per-view in February. 
Um, so, you know, last year the Crockett Cup took place in March. We'll see if that's going to happen, in, you know, probably not in March, but maybe in April, maybe in May. Um, and then you you will probably have a two-night pay-per-view for Crockett Cup. You'll probably have a two-night pay-per-view for the 75th anniversary show. Hello, and then, what's that? That's how I'm just saying that's. I mean, they did it last year, but I don't think last year it worked as well as they did when there was a very specific empowered event. And then the 75th. Well, you know, maybe, and maybe there will be a specific event at the 75th anniversary show. I mean, nothing's been announced, so we're just speculating. And, uh, you know, they, they still had hard times, you know, really the pay-per-view that's kind of stuck with the NWA since this lightning one era is uh hard times and the Crockett cup. They've, they've done two Crockett cup pay-per-views. They've done a hard times pay-per-view and they've done the uh, 70, the anniversary shows, I should say. So those are the three pay-per-views that we've uh, seen on the regular. And uh Poyo's hoping that there's going to be a Crockett cup. Cause she says that she wants to manage a team at the Crockett cup or her life will not be complete. It'd be interesting too because right around the time of the Crockett Cup, isn't there a, going to be a really hot team free agent potentially? Oh, you're talking about FTR? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually tweeted this uh, earlier in the week, and it got some traction. Uh, I had mentioned like there's only three teams that I think uh, should win the Crockett Cup in 2023, and that would be either the FTR, uh, the MLWs, uh, the Von Erichs, Marshall and Ross. Or, and this is a big or, that if uh, the Dudley boys, uh, if Devon is healthy, the Dudley boys coming in and, uh, you know, having their final year in wrestling as a, a Crockett Cup champions, I think that would be kind of fitting. At least it would be for their uh, for their existence, for their history, right? Do you want me to testify? <laughs> I, I want you to get the tables. Uh, well, the tables are turning right here in this conversation. And uh, I like how Doty thinks Hawks area will kick FTR's asses. That would be a fun match. I'll say that. Like, win, lose, or draw, that would be a hell of a match. I don't know. You got Steve Austin there with uh, Hawk Harry, so. Hell yeah. Uh, Doty says if uh, – oh, no, we already talked about that. Never mind. Um, uh, then he also uh, – Doty says, so does Marshall and Ross <laughs> – oh, Hawk Aria would kick uh, the, the uh, Marshall and Ross's ass. Uh, Poyo says that my ideas are terrible. Well, I mean, uh, I, I like to think that there's room for uh, discussion and debate, Poyo, but sure. You know, Poyo, what team do you want to manage? Yeah, well, Who do you want to team with your Thrillbilly? Or I do mean, you want look, a new team altogether? So Thrillbilly and a tag team. Well, you know, like – that's the thing. You remember in the old days of the W I say WCW in the old days in the NWA, you had a lot of managers who had multiple uh, properties that they would manage. You know, I, I mean, yes, you had the horsemen, right. Where uh, James J. Dillon would manage the world champion, the tag team champions, uh, usually the U S champion or the TV champion, something like that. Um, I remember Paul Heyman and the dangerous Alliance, you know, he he was managing Zabisco and Anderson, and then later Zabisco and uh, excuse me, Anderson and uh, uh, beautiful Bobby, along with Rick Rude, and at some point Steve Austin, and and you know he had that whole thing going on. And you think about J Tex, where 
Gary Hart was managing uh, Terry Funk and the great Muda. And, you know, so you've always had like a, a tradition of managers having multiple um, teams or, or, or personalities that they would manage. Hell, even in the WWF, you had the Heenan family who, you know, uh, Bobby Heenan managed, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of personalities, Andre the Giant or or the uh, Powers of Pain or not the Powers of Pain, excuse me, the Brain Busters and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Poyo ended up managing a different uh, personality, different tag team, a different property, if you will. What do you think about that, Poyo? Hey, I, I want to point something out here that just goes to show how the, you know, you got to make the most of your opportunities. Not a hard line. Right <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Don't uh, worry about messages until you finish your thought. Can you? When JJ Dillon was Dusty's assistant, all right, as a booker, okay, uh, people may or may not know that, and so he took care of like the lower level part of the card and stuff like that. Dusty was the big idea, man, and uh, JJ handled more of the details and everything. And so when he came in, he was managing. <clears throat> You know, the likes of Black Bart and Ron Bass and uh, Buddy Landell. Dory Funk under a mask. Dory Funk under a mask, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Ron, they turned on Ron Bass, so it was like him and Black Bart and everything. Uh, not what you call your big main event guys so then so he's with buddy landell and despite what buddy thinks i don't think he was ever really going to be positioned to win the world title <laughs> uh but he was set up as a challenger they did wrestle a few times and buddy landell had Buddy Landell problems and got fired. And so, <sighs> so then they needed to do something with JJ. So, you know, they gave him to, they gave, <laughs> they gave him to, uh, uh, Tully Blanchard, moved baby doll to Dusty and, put him with uh, Tully Blanchard. And let's remember there were no four horsemen yet. And Blanchard was still kind of a mid-card guy, not, you know, world main event. In fact, after JJ started managing him, and I can't remember which title, if it was the TV title or the national title or whatever, but uh, Tully had won some title from Dusty and stuff like that. And JJ even said, he goes, they were interested in wrestling Ric Flair for the title, you know, for the world title. You know, that's what they were wanting to do. So then the famous moment happens where they're all out on the thing. And somewhere or another, Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson, nobody knows where, no one can find the original thing. Says something about the four horsemen of the apocalypse for the first time. And then 
that kind of caught on and then people were using that and then he uh and then he used it again and it really caught on and so all of a sudden jj dylan's gone from like this mid-card level manager to managing totally blanchard who was also kind of mid-card to now they're all main event people and all of a sudden he's not just managing tully he's managing the whole group which includes the world champion so he ends up in this big prestigious thing and sure drawing more money because you know as a talent because now he's in the main event things just because well, just because Jaden couldn't keep his phone off and Buddy Landell couldn't keep his nose clean. <laughs> so I, oh, man. The, the point to all that is taking advantage of the opportunities that are given to you. You got to take advantage when something comes to you. You got you got to do what you can and you got to make yourself into a star. You'll never be a star. Nobody else will make you into a star. You got to make yourself into a star. Do you think that uh, Tully would have ever? Uh, would you have ever supported Tully if he, if he became uh, NWA World Champion? They they got real close to doing that once. Uh, I think like it was in like I want to say two thousand five, with him and Jeff Jarrett in a, uh, in one of those uh, NWA uh, Mid Atlantic festivals, fan uh, fest. Uh, where they they it got real close where it looked like he was going to walk away as champion. Uh, but did you think Tully at any point uh, during the Jim Crockett era would have been a good consideration for the world heavyweight champion? Not really. Not really. And my reasoning is that Tully Blanchard was actually a small guy. And if you look at him with the other four horsemen, you kind of see he was built at 230 pounds. I think Jim Cornette said he weighed about 190, 195. And you can kind of tell he's not that big of a guy. Yeah. And I think at that point, at that point, I think he had to be probably a, Rick Flair was a range between, I think, 225 and 235. You know, again, nobody's weight was that constant. You know, how much did they eat that morning? But, uh, you know, and he was often billed around 245. So, I mean, I think I think if you were much smaller than 225, I don't think, I don't think you would have fit the right mold. And Tully was a chicken shit heel in a way that was different than the way Ric Flair was. You know, uh, Tully's actual, if you look at his early gimmick, it's very Ric Flair. He talks about his expensive shoes and he talks about his suits and his watches and everything. You go back and watch some of the early 85 stuff. Tully is basically Ric Flair. You know, he talks like him, he says everything. And uh, it's just, I just don't, you know, you can't outwork Flair, Ric Flair. Yeah. And I don't know, 
that he ever would have fit that mold well. I just, I mean, could he have had a quick run as champion? Maybe. Uh, you know, if he had been a face and they had hot shot at him the top title, sure, I, I could see that could have happened. But be the world champion in the way that Ric Flair was the world champion? No, I don't think so. Jaden, am I wrong or am I totally No. Wrong? Totally made a great U.S. champion during the Crockett days. Now, I could have seen him as NWA champion like the uh, pre-TNA days. I think that could have been done. I know he held the tag titles, too. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're going to go over the, like, the big horseman history, Barry Windham should have been the one that was the world's champion, even though there's a lot of people that ha- are firmly behind that they believe Arn Anderson would have made a good world's, uh, NWA world champion during the Crockett days. Well, wait, wait, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Real quick. Who would have made a better world champion, uh, Arn or Tully? Arn, he was bigger. He could wrestle better, and he can talk just as well as just about anybody. Okay. Um, but again, I don't see. I didn't see. I, I wish Arn would have been U.S. champion. I thought he would have been a great U.S. champion, but I didn't see Arn Anderson as the world's champion. Um, you got to be. The guy either everybody wants to see or everybody wants to see get beat. Yeah, Tully kind of had that on Arn, but it, they he wasn't the the main draw. Arn Anderson was always great, and I loved watching Arn Anderson. I would have paid to see Arn Anderson, but Oli and Gene had the big draw power. Arn and Gene, I mean Arn and Oli never did. And while Arn and Tully were amazing as a tag team, it would have been great for the B show. I didn't see them highlighting the A show. Unless maybe against the Rock and Roll Express. I can see that. I mean, Tully was a great, you know, chicken shit hill. He was somebody, you know, I used to say, I go, I hated him so bad at the time. <laughs> Just so bad. I didn't understand. I couldn't get why he would. When the titles he did win, why he was putting the matches he was put in, I just hated him so bad. But Tully Blanchard was the type of guy that I would have paid money to watch him get beat up. When he was feuding with Ronnie Garvin, nothing made me happier because Ronnie Garvin, watch him against any TV, you know, uh, enhancement talent. And, you know, Ronnie Garvin could stretch a guy legitimately. And so I would get so excited when it was Tully Blanchard versus Ronnie Garvin. Because even Blanchard somehow won the match. Yeah. Which if you look at the Great American Bash, Bash I think they split almost evenly. And uh, But at the end, at the end, Ronnie always kicked his ass. And that's <laughs> what I would pain to see. I wanted to see... Tully Blanchard get his ass kicked. And I think the only person who's done that successfully modern day was Sammy Sane before the Bloodline story storyline. I think he played that perfect heel that I would pay to watch it get his ass kicked. Not MJF? Now we all want him to beat Roman Reigns. You know, how, how no. the world changes. Not MJF? You know, my problem with MJF is I like him too much. 
<laughs> and he is such a he is such a perfect character that is almost hard for me to dislike him. It's it's to me he's kind of like Chris Adams and uh, Gino Hernandez in World Class when they were the dynamic duo, and they became almost as popular as the Freebirds. I mean, not the Freebirds, almost as popular as the Von Erics in the sense that in the sense that you people paid to watch them wrestle and it didn't matter who they were wrestling. I mean, you know, they were hated if they were going against the Von Erics, but outside of that, they started getting cheers. I blame that on Chris Adams because Gino and Tully, they were completely different, and you hated Gino just as much as you hated Tully back then. Oh, Chris Adams, they the even when he was beating up Kevin Von Erich, he still got like a half the cheers. That's why they think they turned him eventually back to babyface because he was still getting half the cheers. So let's let's go to some of the comments because I mean we're we're talking about some incendiary stuff apparently, uh, because uh, well apparently, um, uh, first of all, Luthes is that baby doll is bigger than Tolly. Baby doll is bigger than almost half the roster. Poyo says oh, that BS Tolly would have been ideal, but his peak was while Flair was champ, so it was a no go. Um, Doty says if Tolly became world champion in the eighties, just a matter of time until Rick won again. If it Early 2000s, just a matter of time until Jarrett won it again. I mean, there's there's some uh, comparison there. Poyo points out that Tolly was built at 225 and Flair was built at 242. So there's some significant weight advantage that Flair had on top of Tolly. Um, Mike brings up that Gino Hernandez too was like Tolly and or Flair. I you go back and watch some of those Gino uh, Gino promos, and that guy, I felt like if he would have. Uh, Stayed clean. He might have had a good run in uh, Jim Crockett Promotions too, and been uh, a little more serious. Gino would go in and out of wrestling. He, he he really enjoyed it, but he didn't love it. Did he enjoy the other lifestyle more? Is that what you're saying? Gino Hernandez was not a character. I mean, you know, we say that he was like Ric Flair. He was like Tully Blanchard. He was like them also in the sense that that was he was basically that he 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 did live in you know you know the rich part of town Highland Park he he did drive real life drive a sports car he did like the ladies and you know he he he, he liked you know the white stuff too. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a gimmick. Oh, real quick. I had to put, put this up. Poyo says that Gino was literally dating uh fair faucet at the height of her fame. So that says something about, uh, his celebrity and his stardom. Hey, DK. Um, yeah. Was Gino, um, Paul Bosch's son? No. Are you sure? Cause that's been the rumor for a while. Mm, yeah, but no. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, he wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a character. He was, 
he was very much just like the four horsemen in the four horsemen days. You know, that is who they were. That was one of the problems they had with Lex Luger. <laughs> no, seriously. One no, I, with I've Lex heard Luger, that he, he wasn't a horseman. He wasn't into the partying. He wasn't into the hanging out and the going all night or whatever. He was a loner. And that's part of the reason why they turned him and took him out of the group. That's fun. I, you know, I, I, I thought you were saying something else there, but that's kind of funny that that's, uh, he didn't fit in, and that's why they ended up training him. That's I never knew that. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, they just well, they needed to get him out of the group, and that was about. They just felt that was the best way to get him out. Let me get to some more of the comments that we have in the chat here. Um, Dodie says, "Oh, Dodie says that Conrad has trademarked Joe Blanchard's Southwest Wrestling, probably preparing for Tolly's last match." Um, I hadn't heard anything about that, but that would be interesting. Um, Doty also says that he doubts that he doubts about Arn. He always looked as a second man than than a big dog, just like his nickname, the Enforcer. Well, I think part of the problem with that is when you're in a group with Ric Flair. Yeah, it, it look, Ric Flair was a star, you know. And the same way, like uh, what Poyle just pointed out about Gino, I mean, Flair was a star too. Flair was, you know, he was on private jets, and I say private jets private jets and uh he was limousine riding kiss dealing wheeling and dealing and all that other fun stuff and and he very much lived that gimmick as well plus he was out there wrestling 300 and like what 350 days a year or 340 days a year some crazy number like that um not good for uh married life not good for being a father but certainly good for being one of the greatest wrestlers of all time yeah Somebody once said they go, why did they keep the NWA title on Ric Flair for so long? And the basic answer was Ric Flair was like the first guy that loved that lifestyle. Yeah. Everybody else sense. grew everybody else grew tired of it. Well, like I remember hearing uh like uh 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 Jerry Briscoe, no Jack Briscoe, excuse me, uh would say like man, he was tired towards the end of that run that he was just tired of being champion and he wanted to do the job he wanted to get the belt off of him um and it was just a matter of you know who they were going to give the belt to but he was tired just from working those dates oh gene kaniski was yeah and, and you know the interesting thing is like gene kaniski it took him about a year to get the title off of him and uh even with bresco it took like six months or whatever because, you know, everyone had to get together, figure out who they want for the next champion, and then plan it. Yeah. And then, so, uh, you know, yeah, they would grow tired of it. Harley Race, you know, grew tired. That's when they took the title off him, off his sixth reign. And it was a while before he ever won it again, because it was just like, he needed the break. Let's, let's get to some more of the comments, if you don't mind. Um, I mind, but go ahead. Poyo's Poyo says, uh, please ask me these questions when I'm on because I want to lambast these darn dirty no gooders. Uh, so I think Poyo disagrees with you. Oh, my battery died. That's right. I got another one. You That's mean, when Jay looks his best. Well, you, know, you and my wife might agree on that. I had so many things I was going to say, and I didn't say them all. I'm kind of disappointed. I know. <laughs> you, you should be very proud of Jaden now, right now. 
yes, yes. Uh, Dodi says, but I want C.W. Anderson to return to the NWA for the Extreme Horse and then for Crockett Cup. You know, it, it, right in the middle of the pandemic, C.W. Anderson, who had just returned to the NWA, had retired. And they kind of had this big thing about it. And then, you know, six months later, he was wrestling again. So uh, I, I don't know if he burned any bridges during that time. But uh, I imagine if he's able to go, you know, I'm sure he'd be considered. Um, I doubt he burned any bridges. CW is one of the most professional guys I've ever met. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I just know he was there. And then all of a sudden he was retiring. And it just seemed kind of out of left field. But, again, yeah, that doesn't mean anything, right? It just means oh. that uh, it just yeah. means that he he wanted to step away. Not as young as he used to be. I think he needed probably a mental break more than anything. Well, I think he also was just recently had gotten married too around the same time, and I still think he's married. I don't think anything happened to his marriage, but I just think uh, uh, you know it is what it is. Uh, Poyo says if there was not flair in the way, Tully was poised perfectly for a world title run, which I kind of agree with. I, I with Poyo on that one. I've always, not always. Let me rephrase that. The more that I learned about Tully Blanchard, the more that I, I've enjoyed him as a wrestler, and I always felt like maybe, you know, being in Flair's shadow, he just didn't have that opportunity. Now, you know, Flair goes to WWE two or three years earlier. Maybe Tully could have been leveraged. Uh, in that Jim Crockett promotions uh, top spot and maybe have won the world heavyweight championship. The only thing think that might've held Tully down is Tully had a similar reputation that his daughter does. The only thing is there was no internet back then for it to get around. Yeah. Tully was not well liked by a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I've heard story. I mean, Go listen to Jim Cornette podcast where they talk about Tolly, and he he'll mention Tolly was Tolly was an ass, <laughs> a total complete ass, and he wasn't. And he kind of said what he thought and didn't really care what anybody else thought about it. Which you know, go oh yeah, well there are a lot of people like that. Uh, I'm one of them. I, I don't know what it's like <laughs> today, but certainly walking. Well, Locker rooms were very political, and you know, you, you had your place in in the hierarchy. And to be honest, I I think Tully, who grew up in his dad's promotion, was used to being kind of on the top, and could say and do what he wanted. But you know, when he moved to other promotions, he was still kind of that way. Even though you know, I pointed out he wasn't really the top person. I mean his his Big long title reign was the TV title in Mid Atlantic before the whole big Jim Crockett buys the TBS spot. And uh, let's remember that was their third, fourth title. You know, they had the US, the Mid Atlantic, and the TV, and they brought the world champion in a lot. Um, let me get to some more comments. Uh, this one I think you'll appreciate. Uh, King DKM. Um, Sam Retro wants to know, could the NWA pull a pay-per-view off in Houston since we're talking about history? Well, I mean, could they pull it off? Sure. It depends on, I mean, I don't know Houston well enough to know what would be a good building to use or whatever. Uh, 
Look, find a building that seats between three to 500 people and the NWA can sell it out for pay-per-view. Yeah. Okay. That simple. Uh, when we were in New Orleans, I think I counted about 400 chairs, you know, on the floor. And then, you know, they had a big balcony section. And that I, was empty. That was probably, what, a quarter full? Or, uh, you know, they, they tried to get people to move over to the hard can. And so some did, some didn't. And, uh, you know, that's why people go, oh, well, they sold out New Orleans. And I said, well, no, not really. They didn't really sell it out. They sold out the floor, but they didn't sell out the, but they didn't sell out the entire building. Yeah. The entire building. There were plenty of seats. They could have doubled their thing. They're the number of people that were there, I think. Yeah. Jay, you were there with me. So yeah, tell me, but no, no. I mean, look, they they did it. They did a decent job selling the floor seats, you know. But anything up in the general mission, the balcony, it was. It, I think it was just a first come, first serve, and one half of it was somewhat full. The rest of it was empty. Just nobody was there, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But you can't see that on TV. You can't see that on you know the cameras weren't filming up in the bleachers. They were filming down below. So, yeah. but. Um, and- but you know, so but just to get to the question, you know, could they do do one in Houston? Sure, they could do one in Houston. They could probably do one in San Antonio. Uh, I'd probably go Fort Worth, not Dallas. Uh, or actually, I would probably do Arlington or Irving, something that's in the center, where you can grab people from both uh, uh, both uh, Fort Worth and Dallas, and the. Yeah. The if you understand if you understand the way the metroplex population is, which most of us don't. Yeah, which but North Dallas, you know, above thirty, and when you get into the upper suburbs, that's the heavy, most heavily populated area, and also got the ones with most money. But you know, there's over a million people in Dallas. There's almost a million people in Fort Worth. And then the overall population is 7.8 million in the Metroplex area. So if you go in the center, somewhere in Arlington, Grand Prairie, Irving, somewhere through there, you could probably draw, you know, you could probably easily draw 500 without too much of a sweat. But I don't know. I don't know that you could draw seven. Poyo says what Texas was discussed, just uh, FYI. And then uh, Luthez just asked a really good question. And, and, and Jaden, I want your opinion on this one. And so does uh, Lou. He says, uh, so paper a building or not paper a building for a pay-per-view? That is a question. And, I mean, the, the obviously the merit is you if you sell out the paper. If, if you have bodies on camera, it looks good for the aesthetic. But you're losing money by not selling those tickets. Jaden, what do you think? Even WrestleMania papers, and even when the WWE is hot, WrestleMania papers, because they give away tickets to various organizations, they give away to various government agents, they give away uh, tickets to certain high rollers or big wigs in, in different times in the town. So everybody papers in the big companies. Here's the problem. If you're papering more than you're selling, then yeah, that's a bad thing. 
Yes, you want the building to look nice, but you can arrange a building and shoot a certain way to make it look like it's big. And if the crowd's hot, then it'll sound like it's big. Um, the only time you really want to paper the building is if you own concessions. Okay. I always wanted to do this thing where uh, I run, I would like to have a nice size building where I could run weekly or by or monthly or something like that, where I own the building and I have the concessions and I'll give the tickets away for almost nothing, but man, I want to make sure there's really good food and I'll make sure to give away free popcorn too. sell those $5 drinks, you know, <laughs> um, as somebody who knows about the independent wrestling circuit, I know the NWA is bigger than the independent, but if you can get concessions and you have a good amount of concession sales, then you want as many damn people in that building as possible because that's where more of the money is. Yeah. I remember when I worked with Phil Varlese and Tommy Cairo and Dr. Zirconium, they were doing an event uh, for a charity for a church and they were trying to build a new steeple. The church made about $2,100 off of the wrestling and they made about $4,500 off the concessions. Wow. So... If you can give them something that they'll enjoy, that they'll come to see, it's always better to sell the tickets because it's more money. But again, like I'm saying, you can range a building, you can range cameras to make it look like it's huge when it's not. So if they're not getting concessions, the only other thing about money is merchandising. And if they weren't coming to the NWA to see the wrestling, What's the chance of them buying much merchandise? Your your phone just went weird. Did it really? My phone's getting. Can you hear me now? Is it is it soft? It's very tinny. Sound like you're talking into a can. It sounds like you're talking from a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Great. Um, can I, does it sound all fine now? No, you yeah. still sound really bad. You I might think need my to... phone is like around twenty percent, so I'm probably near dead. That's probably why I'm sounding like crap. So all right, switch the phones. All right, I'll come back. Okay. Um, James H. Jackson says, "If you book it, they'll come." I, I think there, to a degree, that's true, especially with the NWA. I mean, look, they're coming to Tampa. It's a new market for them. They haven't been to Florida as a promotion yet, and uh, you know, they sold out based on one match and i don't i it's hard for me to believe that's just because everyone wants to see matt cardona and tyrus apoyo says to stop talking in my can although Jaden missed that one uh do we know how many tickets were for sale though i mean i never got to go look at the site and anything like that i think i think uh i think it was said to be 400 but i don't know yeah so i mean that's that's within my I it's guess still, of what you can basically sell. Still pretty impressive for uh, you know no no actual uh, announcement. Oh, no yeah, yeah. And, I, and and that's good. Uh, you know what what we want is we want to we want to get to the days that we can draw a lot of people. Uh, you know, look, there was a promotion here and. Texas that ran for about three years and you know they claim they drew a thousand people almost every time or 1500 almost every time but 
not overly convinced. Right. And even on the times they did, one of the wrestlers pointed out to me, they go, well, they go, they didn't really, they didn't sell a thousand tickets. I'll tell you that much. You know, a lot, they got most of their money through sponsorships. And so they would sell their tickets to sponsors who would then give those tickets away. Right. And uh, normally at a discount, they would normally sell them at a discounted price because, you know, if you're going to sell a, if you're going to sell a hundred tickets to John's plumbing so that John can give them away to his customers. Jody says three ninety nine, less than 400, but almost 400. And look, um, you know, look, if you can get over 150 people in today's indie market, you're doing pretty good. But you're also, you got to keep in mind too, the NWA isn't indie, right? Um, no, they are. Well, yes and no. I mean, they're, they're indie the same way that MLW is indie. They're, they're indie. Yeah, and I consider MLW to be pretty indie. <laughs> but, but they're, here's but they the thing. Are, they're, there used to be a term called super indie, and that's what they are a super yeah. indie. Yeah. And I, 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 sure, that's, that works for me. They're paying their talent a lot of money. You know, Tyrus isn't working for a hot dog and a handshake. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, 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 there's a lot more money behind what MLW is doing, what the NWA is doing. Um, that I, I can't really put them on the same level of, with no dis, disrespect intended to my local indies, like an Empire Wrestling Federation that's been around for 30 years, but you know, the, the, You've never heard of them. I want a hot dog now. I say, you want a hot dog really bad. <laughs> not really bad. Uh, Dodie says he's waiting for the NWA pay-per-views in Houston, Dallas, Chicago, Dothan, Omaha. I don't think you'll ever see one in Omaha. We'll see. Kansas City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Detroit, Minneapolis, Des Moines, and Waterloo. I think, hey, you know, Omaha used to be such a big wrestling town. It had its own world champion. Yeah. I think that Kansas City, excuse me. Wow. I said Kansas City. I think that San Francisco would be a great place, especially if they can get into Cow Palace. That would be awesome. Isn't uh, a Cow Palace owned by a cult? I know the, the uh, Grand Olympic Auditorium, which was a famous wrestling view uh, venue for, uh, you know, nearly a century is now a, a Korean church. Um, and it's dot ham is, is uh Dothan. Okay. Thank you. I've never heard of that. So Dothan, Alabama. Okay. Um, Poyo says a huge part of it, I think is we're all, we are moving into a territory where the NWA was always hot. We got advanced press and there's nobody there has been able to see us live in years. So there, there's something to be said for that. Um, well, I mean, I'd agree. And if you look back at St. Louis, I think you'll see that. The first year in St. Louis, they got a lot of press. They got a lot. I mean, John Goodman did a voiceover. Come on. Yeah. That that was pretty dope. You know, what was it? We figured out 800 tickets they sold or something like that for two nights. You know, 800. For, so 1,600 tickets total. And, uh, you know, that was a good thing. But we also saw what happened when they went back to St. Louis a year later or two years later, however long it was, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't sell as many. And that's because they weren't as new and they weren't as hot or they weren't as whatever. I, you know, when Doty puts all those places up, it's almost like that's actually a good idea. Now you'd probably be in the suburbs, 
of several of those places. Except for maybe Dothan, Alabama. Maybe. And but but you know, that's okay. There's nothing wrong. If you can go into any of those cities, sell between five to five hundred to a thousand tickets, truly sell them, you know, then you know, you're doing good. I I don't want to say you're not doing good. Whether I like the product or not, or I like an angle or not, that's irrelevant. If you can sell that many tickets, you're doing good. Right. But, you know, you're also a long way away from the days when a place could run the same town every week and draw 5,000 fans. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, World Class ran Dallas every Friday night, and for three years they drew over 4,000. And then they went... 30 minutes down the road, Fort Worth on Monday nights, and they drew between 1,500 to 2,000 every week yeah. for three years. I mean, you know, and, and you know what, even, the, even in their off, even in their off years, they were drawing five, six, seven hundred to a thousand. Well, what killed Los Angeles is they stopped drawing upwards of, you know, the 5,000s and they were dropping down to 1,000s. And that's when they said, oh, the territory's dead, kid. We got to we gotta close up the, the books. We got to get out of the business. And they were still drawing 1,000, like by today's standard, if, you know, any promotion. Uh, you know, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, the, probably the the favorite child of California wrestling, doesn't draw 1,000 people. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's all, you know, I don't know. Dallas Wrestling right. Promotion, world class, went broke, drawing a thousand fans a week. Yeah. Tell me an indie or super indie promoter today that wouldn't cry happy tears to draw a thousand people a week. Oh, God. Yeah. Dog would, I don't know where, where in this area we can fit a thousand people. Even the high schools probably couldn't do it unless it was a football stadium. But a dog would, Mert would, Love to draw half that, 500 people. And Doug does decent around 250. Yeah. So, you know, I can imagine, like, you know, 500. Even the NWA championship match was only around 300. Yeah. And it unfortunately was helped with a horrible situation with the the charity for the girl that got um, taken away, too, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But still... The, I, was I was started to laugh because I thought you were going to say the booking and how they brought in uh, Cahagas uh, unannounced, and then you you got really serious, and now I feel bad for smiling. Well, he's still like, yeah, it was helped by that situation. I don't think it was the NWA championship match alone, as much as I would like to say that, unfortunately. But even uh, he's nobody's favorite person, but Rob Feinstein doesn't even draw thousand at the arena and he has loaded up cards oh yeah they use a lot of talent on those cards real quick i want to get to something Poyo said before we move on to the next part of the show uh Poyo says i would personally use an approach similar to what i did in public relations where markets are tiered uh select smaller territory areas which do not get as many events the issue with having a thousand versus five thousand is five thousand is when you have a budget which requires those five thousand yeah, and, and that's and that's one of those things where you know that's something that maybe Billy has to consider how much money he's willing to put in, how much money he's willing to lose, and that sort of thing. But uh, ultimately, 
you know, we don't have the answers and we just kind of have to watch and see what's going to happen next. Uh, I did want to get to a few points, uh, some NWA news and information. Obviously tonight, our girl Camille is uh, on the West coast, if you will, but uh, the West Canadian coast, she's in Calgary and she will be defending her title tonight against Ava. We talked a little bit about that on the pre-party, but wishing Camille very well tonight on, uh, on her matchup and hopefully has a very solid defense. And then, uh, we know that uh, as part of uh, the AAA, um, AAA announced a World Cup of Wrestling. Um, they've they've actually done this multiple years, but they they just introduced the participants this week, and we did see a couple of NWA names and faces there. Of course, on uh, on Team USA for the women, we've got uh, you know uh, uh, the virtuoso Deanna Perrazzo teaming with. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Grace, and then you've got, of course, our women's world champion as, as the center part of that, which I think is very, very cool um, that Camille will be a part of the uh, Lucha Libre World Cup. Um, not to be outdone in the household, Tom Latimer will also be a part of the Lucha Libre Cup when he teams as part of Team Europe. I don't actually know who those two other guys are. I guess that makes me a bad wrestling fan. Um, and then when we look back at the women's uh, portion of that tournament, uh, that cup, we see some more familiar faces. Uh, we see that, of course, Natalia Markova will also be representing the NWA as part of the Resto del Mundo, which you know, translates to the rest of the world. But we also see, uh, you know, yes, she's an impact, but she's been a, a mainstay for the NWA with Taya Valkyrie. And then, of course, uh, uh, Dodie will call her Bubblegum, um, but we'll all call her CJ or Christy Janes, who has wrestled for the NWA um, and currently is a part of the NWA, but they've listed her uh, as an indie. Um, but a lot of representation for the NWA on the uh, AAA's uh, World Cup uh, uh, series of matches. Uh, Jade, what do you think about that, seeing our uh, NWA talent appearing internationally in Mexico uh, on those on those cards that are coming up? I think that's great for international markets. Always good to get experience in other territories and other countries, especially where the style is completely different, and you can um, you can uh, really go out of the way to shine in front of a completely different audience. That's a good way to learn. That's a good way to get better in the ring. That's a good way to get known out there. And there's people that love those international things people like people to watch japan and think it's like the god's gift to wrestling and at one time it used to be but or uh people that love rocks in mexico watching all the high flying and the lucha libre i think this is great for these wrestlers to get a name for themselves for people who might not get a chance to see them otherwise or aren't necessarily fans of the nwa and maybe just maybe they'll like them enough that they'll give the NWA chance and come see them. DKM, what do you think about this one? I think it's better for the talent overall in a marketing device for the NWA. The, the talent, like Jaden says, anytime you can go wrestle and get experience, and especially against what's considered some of the top, you know, wrestlers right now in the world or going there at AAA, I mean, you can't uh, fault that. And then from an NWA marketing standpoint, to be able to say, hey, our talent is there in AAA, I think it's it's good. 
uh, will it draw a lot of fans to the NWA? I don't know. If it draws a handful, it's still a win. Yeah, that's true. Well, it, if, if if it draws a handful and they keep the handful, it's a win. Yeah, that's the problem. They might get them the one time to watch. It's yeah, having to keep them there. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't answer with any true knowledge that, you know, it'll be a – this particular thing will be a booming – thing for the NWA. Now, you know, AAA versus NWA, that's a, t- that's a different story. Well, it should be noted, right? It should be noted that the the, the uh, World Cup, and I'm trying to look for the date, so I'm stalling just a tad. Um, the World Cup uh, event is supposed to happen um, in March. It's supposed to happen on uh, – um, oh, no date there. Okay. Um Anyways, it's supposed to happen soon. It's supposed to happen in March. I think like March 15th. Um, and then, of course, the World is a Vampire Festival is happening in Mexico City on March 4th. In some ways, this is kind of like a precursor to the uh, World Cup pay-per-view. And it just maybe maybe now we might have a greater emphasis on the talent that will be appearing on March the 4th in Mexico City at the World is a Vampire Festival. And I did hear that Billy said, uh, I, I know that that event will be taped. Billy said that that event uh, will probably be presented on NWA programming in some form. Probably not a pay-per-view, but maybe like they'll air matches from that event, from that show on Power or maybe Power Surge or USA or something along those lines. But uh, I think that's kind of exciting. Poyo, next time you talk to Billy, ask him if the world is a vampire. Does that mean it sucks? <laughs> I think that's what the whole point of that song was. Uh, And then, of course, um, some other news that we wanted to get to that uh, we do know that um, there was late breaking news that uh, are not really a friend, but somebody that we enjoy on the show. Genocide uh, is not medically cleared to compete on January the 31st. Um, It was confirmed to me that she is legitimately injured. and she will be replaced by um, La Rosa Negra on uh, Team Rock and Roll, which there will be a, uh, a conflict of interest because uh, Taya Valkyrie and La Rosa Negra uh, famously had a altercation at the uh, at the um, secret uh, private tapings for champion the uh, champion series, and where uh, uh, Taya Valkyrie actually injured La Rosa Negra and she had to go to the hospital. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see how that will play on to the 31st. And uh, Poyo I love says, Black Rose, though. She's so awesome. Uh, Poyo de Mar says, uh, Poyo de Mexico, pray for me to be included and in that she'll see Billy in four days. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be very exciting, Poyo. I, the, the live taping, of course, um, would love to pick your brain about that after you uh, get done taping uh, and see how that show works out. But uh, I, I think it would be... Uh, with the rich history and tradition that Mexico has with the Exoticos, I think that Pollo would fit right in. And uh, it's a shame if they don't use you. I think that would be a shame because I think that's such a, a – it's a slam dunk that you should be there. So I, I, I hope you are. Um, Dodie says that The World is a Vampire is a good song. Did not know that Dodie was a fan of the Pumpkins, so that's something new that we got tonight. Uh, we're hitting All that- I'm saying is – uh, despite all my rage, 
Doty's still just a rat in a cage. Oh, you, you know, uh, the one or two times I actually got to talk to Billy Corgan, uh, one of them was at the Championship Wrestling from Hollywood TV tapings, and he and Dave Logano were in the back, and it was we have a, a, a very pretty big rock station called K-Rock locally here in Southern California. And, and in the seventies and eighties, it was kind of like one of the biggest stations in the country where like, if you got played on, on K-Rock, it was considered a very big deal. And uh, they did a, a Christmas concert and Billy was uh, kind of boasting about how night one, the night that he was on sold out, but night two on Sunday night did not sell out. And I was talking to him about it, and uh, he told me, he goes, uh, yeah, you know, that there's a, a a very clear reason why night number two didn't sell out. And I said, well, why is that, Billy? He goes, because everyone sucked. <laughs> I was like, damn, Billy, like that? Uh, sorry, I thought that was funny. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, we're getting up against the uh, 2 o'clock hour. And uh, not 2 o'clock hour, but the second hour of the show. I think uh, now might be a good time to call it a night, gentlemen. Um, Jaden, I know we have some events coming up for dangerous adrenaline wrestling gladiators. Would you like to talk about those? Well, yes, the first one is going to be a private Rowan event on Thursday night, February 23rd, uh, 9.30 bell time. It's going to be Raw Solania, and God, it hurts me to say that so much. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? I think it's clever. I'm going for it. I like it. Made me laugh. But, that could count for something. Yes, that counts for something, DK. <laughs> anyway, not only will you see M Dog Matt Cross, out got all M Dog 20, going after the WWGP Championship against Chris Steeler, also just signed Busky Eric Busky. Martin will be defending the Dangerous Adrenaline Wrestling Gladiators Heavyweight Champion against Justin Adams. Um, Very good superstar. He's a protege of Chris Steeler and um, had an amazing match. You could look at on the dog YouTube against Ty Thomas. I think him and Eric Martin will be really, really hot. Speaking of Ty Thomas, he's a Rowan alumni. He will be there. So will Goldie, who spent a cup of tea a cup of coffee in um, New Japan Strong. He will be there, and he's a former Rowan alumni. So is Wet Brett Waters. They were both trained by the Monster Factory. Some people might have heard of that that wrestling school. It's kind of it's kind of well known. Yeah, I've heard of it. Plus, NWA's own Wrecking Ball Ligurski will be there. The Dangerous Adrenaline Wrestling Gladiators Tag Team Champions, the Old School Empire, will be there. And honestly, they should be in the Crockett Cup. They'd win it all. Poyo, you need a team? There you go. Patch and Vinny the Fixer and Poyo. Can you imagine that? That would be a lot of wild. I think Poyo has a team, though. I think uh, she has a team. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Poyo, if you're in the chat... Give us a give your tag team a plug because I, I can't remember their name right now. Well, money, you know what? Money power something. At one time, one time, um, there was Paul Jones had Rick Rude and Mandy Fernandez and the um, Dick Murdoch and Ivan Koloff in the Crockett Cup. So maybe double your chances. Double your chances, double your fun. 
I don't know why I knew you were going to do that. Did either team make it into the second round? Yes. I believe both teams made it into the second round. Because hmm. uh, Rude and, uh, and Fernandez end up losing to the eventual winners of of Nikita Koloff and uh, Dusty Rhodes, the superpowers. The tag team that Poyo manages on the Indies is Money, Power, Respect. Uh, my apologies, Ms. Poyo, uh, for getting that, uh, for mixing that up. How can you forget that, you darn dirty no gooder? Well, that's because I'm a darn dirty no gooder. That's true. Um, Doty says the fixtures will fix dogs. I'm just saying, if uh, you've got one of them, you might as well get both of them. If they live near each other, that would probably have been easy, but considering one's nowhere near the other one, <laughs> and that's probably why that one's not happening. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I'm just. Yeah. Uh, um, and then Poyo says, Rude and Fernandes were also the world tag team champions. That's true. Yes. I always, I always, when I was a kid, I always thought like that was such a weird pairing to me, uh, Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude, because you had one guy who was like, like sculpted like Adonis, and then another guy who, um, well, wasn't. And I just always thought that was a little on the weird side. It was like, why don't they both look like they're musculars? Well, um, the maybe- story on that one is, Dusty saw something big and rude and always had a deep liking and a deep friendship with Manny Fernandez. And Fernandez had a reputation being world tag team champions with Dusty. Yeah. And he thought that Fernandez would be a good teacher for Rude to help teach him what um what he needs to do in the business. Rude was still very green at that time. Had that Rude didn't get great until his until like near his uh a little bit past his beginning in the WWF. Yeah. Let's get back to some uh, more what's coming next for the Dangerous Journal Wrestling Gladiator so we can wrap up the show. Well, it's not Rick Rude and Manny Fernandez, unfortunately. But uh, there will also be another event on Saturday night, March 25th, at the Max Fit Sports Center, located at 240 Delcy Drive South in beautiful uptown Rustic, Glassboro, New Jersey. It's also going to be unofficially the Alliance Guys uh, meet and greet and convention where everybody should come up or down or over or under wherever you try to where you get there to the dog event at the MaxFed Sports Center. And you can meet J-Cal in person and potentially DKM. And if so, DKM is probably going to go visit New York. I'm going to wear my Blue Demon Jr. mask so that people won't identify me. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've had a long day. I'm kind of getting sleepy. So let's let's uh Let's wrap it up. We'll we'll talk more about the uh the it's seven uh, o'clock your time. I know, but I've been up since four. Whose fault is that? My kids. Anyway, really blame, blaming poor, poor harmless children. That's don't but, you know I'm an I'm a YouTube influencer. That's what I do. I blame my kids for everything. Uh sure. DK, if folks want to follow you on the socials, how do they do? Well, if you want to follow me on social, stop whatever it is that you're taking. And then uh, DKMFWTX. And don't forget my warning. More than happy to add anybody. Don't irritate me. Or annoy me. He does love cat memes, though. So if you want to entertain him, send him some cat memes. Especially funny ones. Or people getting hurt. So does yeah. Jaden, by the way. So, yeah, that's how I know that because we send them to each other. And don't forget to also follow his royalty site too. 
Do you follow my royalty site? Which is? Unofficialroyalty.com. Hey, what happened to Jay? I don't know. I think we're replaced by the Ultimo Avocado. Well, now that Jay's, now that Jay's gone, I can tell my Manny Fernandez story. <laughs> Real quick, his eyes look a lot like... Uh, they look very, very elongated, kind of like the um, assassins used to when he had the mask on. Well, it's very tight. That mask is not as forgiving as it looks. Um, Poya wants you to know that she tweeted you, Cam, and that nasty didn't return my tweet. So I liked it. That's something. I'm antisocial. Shame on you, DK. Um, of course, we'll be here next week. Um, hopefully, you guys tuned into the 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 couple of the interviews that we've had this week. Like, I interviewed a local MMA fighter who will be fighting uh, next uh, Saturday at the um, oh, what's it called? The uh, oh, I forgot the name of the promotion. <laughs> WM Fighters. Uh, they'll be uh, doing some Muay Thai kickboxing. At the uh, Saboba Casino, which uh, is a beautiful casino if you're ever in Southern California. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. The WFC fighters. Um, they'll be fighting there. I uh, had an interview with him. I thought it went great. Hope you guys will tune into that. Take a listen. Of course, our pals over at the Other Alliance guys had a great sit-down interview with former NWA North American champion Drew Onyx. Ah! I never get it right. Um I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that interview. If you've been a fan of this Alliance blog for some time, Drew Onyx was actually one of the first people that uh, actually did an interview with me. And uh, if it weren't for him, who knows? Maybe we would have given up on this uh, pet project a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, so blame him. It's all his fault. Yeah, him him and uh, Carl and Machine Gun Anderson. Those are your two guys to blame. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be back here on Tuesday for the Alliance guys podcast. And I'm hoping that we're going to, we're trying to lock down bad dude, Tito. Hopefully we'll get him next week uh, to join us on this, uh, on, on uh, either a sessions or, or uh, the Alliance guys podcast. We will have a, we should go back to format next week because there should be some NWA programming, but you never know. Uh, gentlemen, live, live programming. Yeah. Gentlemen, is there anything else you want to plug before we say good night? Go to alliance-wrestling.com, buy some merchandise, buy some Dubby. By the way, Dubby, uh, I, I did it today. I took some of this uh, Dubby um, mix and I mixed it with a uh, sparkling ice lemon lime and it was nice. And DKM was showing you that there is the Alliance Guys t-shirt. If you've ever had the feeling of wearing a bunch of dudes' faces on your t-shirt, uh, that's one to buy. You'll see my face. You'll see... DK's face, you'll see uh, the other Alliance guys, Tim, Scooby, and Jeremy. You'll see Chris and uh, and Lamb, who uh, who write for the for the website. And, uh, of course, there's no Jaden because we honestly don't know what he looks like. That's because they couldn't afford my uh, rights. That's why I'm not, I don't show my face here because they can't afford they, – they only paid for my voice. They didn't pay for my good looks. I sent him a picture. He could have used it. <laughs> It was a, I think it was a gargoyle from the Dark Crystal or something. It was a troll. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, yeah, uh, new T-shirts are going to be coming in soon. We have a, a 10 pounds of replica coming to the site, uh, T-shirts. Uh, we're also going to be having uh, uh, some more new designs will be coming soon. So uh, hopefully you guys will, uh, if, if you want to support the website, the, the podcast financially, you can do so. Isn't Otherwise, there a Discord channel out there somewhere? What's that? A Discord channel? 
Oh, yeah, we should probably plug that. The Discord channel, the link is in the description of the video. But uh, if you want to talk to us on a more frequently basis, uh, Thursday's just not enough for you, um, join us there in the Discord. Um, it, it's in the bio, and if you guys can't reach it, just uh, private message me somewhere else, and we'll uh, we'll get that to you. Doty, one last thing before we leave, says, campaign with Billy to get Drew uh, to bring in the NWA to Quebec and keep an eye out for his dojo talent. If he wants Billy to work with Drew, uh, yeah, I would I would love to see Drew uh, in some capacity with the NWA today. But uh, that's going to do it, guys. Again, we do thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for joining the stream. This has been a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com. We genuinely appreciate your support. Would you consider subscribing so you'll never miss a future episode? I'd also like to remind you we do a live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. before NWA Power. You can find us on social media at The Alliance Blog. And until next time, we are The Alliance.